Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day with me, none other than Jordan Yule, TYT contributor, all around rock star. Top story of the day, former President Donald Trump is going to consider Tucker Carlson, Lil Tuck Tuck, as a vice presidential running mate. Well, at least that is what Trump indicated when pressed. Now, there are a few ways to interpret. Here it is. Would you consider Tucker Carlson on your VP list? Oh, I, wow. want to give, I want to give you a hypothetical here. You're a big sports fan. You know, like Nick Saban's going to retire at some point. And if you talk to the athletic director at Alabama, he would say he has a list. So would Tucker Carlson be on your list of potential VPs? And how many names might be on that list as you sit and look and survey the political field? Well, first of all, you know, I did my first, uh, you could call it counter-programming, but I, I won't call it that. But uh, Tucker wanted to do an interview during the first debate. And I think you know, because this is what your business is, we broke every record. Monster audience. In history, yeah. I think it just hit over 300 million people. But it was for that evening, over 207 million. It then got to 275 within a day or two. And the biggest ever was Oprah's interview with Michael Jackson, which was 125 million. So we almost doubled it. Now, who would have thought that was going to happen? The debate, the last debate they had, had the lowest audience in the history of presidential debates. I don't know if you know it. And I think the one tonight is not, it's on tonight. And yeah. I don't even talk about it. Would you consider it's, it's, Tucker, though, that they based on the. I numbers? like Tucker a lot. I guess I would. I think I'd say I would because he's got great common sense. You know, when they say that you guys are conservative or I'm conservative, it's not that we're conservative. We have common sense. We want to have. Safe borders. We want to have a wall because walls work. You know what, Ron? I used to say about walls. I'd say wheels and walls. Everything changes. Uh, the computer that you have in front of you in about a month from now will be totally obsolete. Right now, you have the finest equipment in the world. And in about a month from now, that equipment will be obsolete. The only two things for centuries that's not obsolete are wheels and walls, right? <laughs> so, good. No, when you think about yeah. it, right? It yeah. wheels, a wheel will always be a wheel. It's never going to change. And a wall will always be a wall. And, and walls work. work. And no, no, walls work. Remember when they were saying they were walls saying don't, don't work. work. Yeah. And Remember, and walls oh, yeah. Joe Biden's got a wall in his beach house, by the way. Yeah, and he does. And by the way, uh, there are a lot of other walls. Nancy Pelosi has a wall also. And if she didn't have a wall, of course, it didn't work that well but with yeah. respect to the husband. But, you know, you generally speaking, it would work. I mean, the rambling is actually getting worse. Um, yes, the former president of the United States of America, the man leading in the Republican primary, the man who is highly competitive in most swing states within the margin of error, winning based on some polling data. Said, yeah, I would consider Tucker Carlson. The ratings would be great. Put up the big full mass. You know, this would be an okay conversation in the context of, let's say, The Apprentice. But this is in the context of actual policy that impacts people. Let me read this quote again. Trump said, I like Tucker a lot. I guess I would. 
I think I'd say I would because he's got great common sense. You know, when they say that you guys are conservative or or I'm conservative, it's not that we're conservative. We have common sense. We want to have safe borders. We want to have a wall because of wall because walls work. Let's be very clear. There is not a wall that a man has built that another man has not been able to climb over, tunnel under, or break through. Number one. Number two. The reality of Trump's diplomacy plan, his immigration plan, lacks nuance because he is incapable of actual independent nuanced thought. He is basically a red meat giver. He's going to give you a talking point here, a talking point there. There's a reason why Republicans as a party, they have no idea what they believe anymore. Because their standard changed based on the proclamation of the madman named Trump. And let us not forget that during the Dominion lawsuit, we know what Tucker actually believes about Donald Trump, which by proxy gave us an idea of what he thinks of people who view his content. You see, Tucker told the truth in his text messages. That Donald Trump is a wrecking ball. Donald Trump is a great evil. That Donald Trump is a liar. That Donald Trump is, in fact, going to bring everybody down. These things were exposed. Well, somehow they were able to spin a narrative outside of that in TV land that presented a different story. Would Trump actually make Tucker a VP? Of course not. Because he knows how Tucker actually feels about him in real life. They just say something different on television. Trump will pick someone who's a member of his cult. That's who he would choose. All right, Jordan, thoughts here. So the conventional approach for picking a VP is somebody who doesn't overshadow the presidential candidate. You saw that especially with Tim Kaine, the pick by Hillary Clinton. He was just a bland, vanilla, boring Democrat that a lot of people didn't even know of before that moment. But here, I can't imagine this would happen. He's saying it just because it will get attention. And you could see that in his reasoning. Oh, get great ratings, right? So put aside the unlikelihood first. Let's actually think about this if it were to actually happen. That would be an opposition researcher's dream because Tucker not only has years worth of heinous comments that he made on Fox, it goes back even to when he was on MSNBC. And I worked at Media Matters when we dug up uh, the Bubba the Love Sponge archives <laughs> that Tucker called in every week. And it wasn't a ridiculous name, but he would call into this shock jock radio show out of Florida every week for years. And all of those episodes are stored in the cloud. So they already published 
some of the worst of the worst, like talking about underage girls in a sexual way, calling people in Iraq and Afghanistan semi-literate primitive monkeys, using uh, racist impressions to talk about people of color. It goes, and that's just some of what was published. There are hours and hours of content just sitting there waiting for Tucker to stick his head back out again. So go for it. Pick him as your VP because there is, you know, as as tough of a time it is for Biden right now with his approval ratings plummeting, people not really generally supporting him, especially for how he's handling Gaza. This could be the one way that you help propel Biden to victory because it would just be plastered and broadcast wall to wall and moderates, people who don't really have strong party affiliation either way, aren't going to support somebody who has said something in all of these things that are so heinous. Yeah, you know, in a more normative political climate, I would 100% agree. But we have a Democratic president who is in complete lock and step against humanitarian efforts. We also have a societal construct, a normality that says we are going to reward bigotry and racism in our political class. So normally I would say, absolutely, yep. Today I'm like, mm, Tucker may actually excite even more racist people. All right, we'll see what happens. Predator cop responds to burglary, right? Well, he decides to assault, according to the conviction, a woman. Put up the picture full mass. Well, that cop is now facing the music. Howard Portis, Officer Howard Portis <laughs> is now an ex-Atlanta Police Department officer, has been found guilty of sexual assault. According to the indictment and conviction, he assaulted a woman who had called 911 because somebody broke into her property. All right, this is a dangerous situation. You need help. <laughs> this happened March in 2021. The Fulton County DA's office, led by Fonnie Willis, the same prosecutor prosecuting Donald Trump, announced the guilty verdict Wednesday against the former officer. He was convicted on one count of aggravated sodomy and one count of violation of oath. According to state records, the officer was still allowed to resign by the Atlanta Police Department while under investigation. The officer also now has a second indictment in state court. Why? Over a quote pattern of deactivating his body camera before making sexual advances. Let me give you background to the incident. Uh, the release said that Officer Portis responded to the 911 call from a woman on Glen Street, March 25th, 2021. The Atlanta Police Department officer arrived at the scene and once inside of her home, he decided to deactivate, turn off his body camera. And then physically forced her to perform sexual acts on him. The release stated, a second officer was dispatched to the scene. And when that officer arrived, the victim, quote, 
remained silent about the assault due to her heightened fear and distrust of law enforcement. I need you to understand the scenario that he presented here. This evil deed was done knowing that the victim would not be aware of who would be on her side or not. So you have a second officer responding. Why would she believe that they are not involved in a conspiracy? You have a person who has just sexually violated you, who has a gun and a license to use it. And based on damn near every single Supreme Court ruling and the narrative primarily of conservatives, all he has to do is say, "Oh my goodness, I thought she was the person who broke into her own home. He kills her, and he gets to go home because he has you know a subjective protection. The DA's office said, after the second officer left, Portis offered her $250, okay? Quote, she fled to her pastor's residence down the street. And once she got there, frantically knocked on the door in tears, showing clear signs of distress, including heaving and vomiting. It's made her sick to her stomach. Before disclosing to him that she had been violated, the pastor helped arrange an ambulance to the hospital where she stayed overnight. The records also show his law enforcement certification is currently suspended, meaning he cannot seek sworn officer employment in Georgia. So you have a sentencing hearing coming up on the 20th of November. Quote, this office has indicted 31 law enforcement officers, including police, Sheriff's deputies and jailers, and yep, even federal agents have been indicted by Ms. Fonnie Willis, the DA of Fulton County. Willis continued to say, quote, rest assured that in this jurisdiction, police officers who engage in criminal activity and violate the oath to serve the public will face the full force of accountability. The prosecuting attorney in this case, Deputy DA Sonia Allen. Added in the statement that law enforcement officers who engage in criminal actions that breach public trust must be prosecuted. Ladies and gentlemen, this is called a start. You don't need new laws. You actually just need to enforce the ones you already have. DA Fonnie Willis is willing to do so, okay? Unlike most, I will say this about the DA. There is obviously, there is some political fallout for other prosecutions, you will have that no matter what DA you get. But going after cops who clearly violate their oath is part of the job. Some DAs have decided to ignore that part of the job while overcharging every single person in poverty or committing a crime of survival, et cetera, they can. Here's a moment, a blueprint if you would of how to do it properly. She typically is very careful about how the indictments work. There's a process through a grand jury and 
the collection of evidence. This officer, this officer got caught here. We know about one incident for sure. But he's now being investigated because of a pattern of turning off his camera, which also means there are other victims. There are other victims. That's the point here. They prosecuted for this one. But now you have a pattern that they are investigating and will indict for because, well, this individual was an actual predator in a uniform. Now, why won't cops, why won't chiefs, why won't cities, counties, and states agree? Psychological evaluations are required every six months, hell, every one year. The same cop you hire on day one may not be the same cop on day 365. And how does someone who is probably a serial violator, how does that person pass your psychological evaluations unless they are simply not objective? All right, Jordan, thoughts here. This is the exact behavior that makes people so distrustful of, of police that somebody exploits this system, this technology to hide what they're doing. Uh, reflects a pattern of behavior, like you say, but there should be punishments in every department nationwide. You do this once, yeah. uh, maybe twice if you're being if you're being liberal. Maybe it's an accident, but if you are turning off your body camera, it's that you don't want anyone that could hold you accountable potentially to see what you're doing. I can't think of any good reason to do that when you're interfacing with the public. Maybe to protect someone's privacy. There could be a review process, but generally speaking, if this is something that you are doing, you should be out. Hear you on the on the evaluations, absolutely. Because when you put somebody in that position, you give them a badge and a gun, that gives them a lot of power and control over people who are not in the police department. And we've seen time and time again, you've done a fantastic job chronicling all of the abuses of power in departments and states nationwide that these police engage in. There should be really rigorous and thorough checks on their behavior, their psyche, especially the body cam thing, what they're doing, how they're interfacing with the public. And you know, people make the case for abolishing at the very least, there should be some sort of defund approach where you reallocate the resources into other community programs. So somebody who potentially could do harm is not the first person showing up, especially in a volatile situation where maybe police aren't needed. Someone's having a mental health episode, maybe a social worker could be the first person to respond. That's the core of the defund argument. And I think we'd be better suited if we reallocated the resources that traditionally all go to the police into a vibrant and enriched community infrastructure. Very well said, and some cities are doing that, the progressive model is working in Ithaca, New York. You have variations of it in Baltimore and other places. Uh, you have to implement properly and you have to understand the nuances of your local community, but this is how you actually solve it. Stop treating the effect and start looking at the cause. Hell of a thing, a Florida church is under fire. Why? Because an employee, just an employee, not a teacher at their school, not the principal of the school, just an employee decided to beat children. And the parents are outraged and they want justice. Put up the institution because 
I want you to understand why this is happening. Orlando, Florida. WESH2 News reported that local parents are outraged demanding criminal charges against a church employee who is neither the principal or the teacher, really should not matter. But this church employee decided to start whooping, as we would say in the South, other people's children. This is at St. Mark Preparatory School. One mother of four students at the school, at the home of the spiritual warrior school, told the local news, supposedly they beat our kids. Her nine-year-old daughter is in the fourth grade, where the alleged assault took place. They were hysterically crying and calling parents, end quote. A mother of three students, including a fourth grader, that was also in the classroom in question said, uh, said both mothers want to remain anonymous and both removed their children from the school on Friday. They're among the parents of more than a dozen fourth graders. Do you hear that? A dozen fourth graders who say a male staffer at the school whipped them Thursday afternoon. The kids told their parents another student was caught writing on a desk. The teacher told an assistant to get the male staffer. When the male staffer returned, students told their parents that the man, quote, slammed his things down on the desk, took off his belt, and told them to line up, and he beat them three times apiece. But I believe it was three or four kids that did not get a spanking. The mother of the nine-year-old girl said, he took his belt off, his personal belt, end quote. Another quote, so he had a belt and he used that, according to your son, a fourth grader, to hit him on his backside, question mark. Yes, my nine-year-old fourth grader, the mother of the nine-year-old child said, police were called, but parents say none of the children were seriously hurt. And no paramedics were called. Additionally, a parent told News 6 that his son was one of eight students struck. According to the parent, the teacher pointed students out to the individual who then whipped them. That parent explained he went to speak with the individual about the incident. And the individual said the kids volunteered for it uh, as a game show or as a game. Now the father is saying his son has a bruise. So WESH2 News spoke with St. Mark Prep Principal Carol Messiah on the phone. And she declined comment except to say that no one would be saying anything about what happened Thursday before consulting legal counsel. Um, so let's talk about corporal punishment in Florida. So corporal punishment is actually still very much so legal in Florida and other states. And among public schools, each individual district is responsible for administering it. No central Florida public schools allow it. Private school rules on discipline can vary. Both parents talked with said, uh, talk with said 
that never, they never agreed to any type of physical punishment. And neither of them ever signed a document permitting it for their children. The mother nine-year-old added, no, I haven't. And it's not in the student handbook either. The Orlando Police Department told a new six on Friday when asked about the allegations, quote, this is an active investigation and we're looking into all aspects thoroughly. No arrests have been made, no arrests have been made. But a group of parents outside the school on Thursday were demanding the individual be arrested. They said they want the teacher held accountable for her role as well. Now, Florida law does require when you see abuse to a child, you are mandated to report it. If you do not, that is a criminal issue. It can be prosecuted by the local prosecutor. So this is strange, right? Who in the hell is this mystery person? Who is this individual that has so much authority, that has so much power, not a teacher, not a principal, but they go get this person and no one is saying his name. Hell, we could not find the actual name of the person. So we would like to know the name. We would like to know the name. I don't know why the local news did not report. I have no idea. I assume someone knows exactly who this person is. They know the person is not an employee. In order for the news to say that conclusively, they have checked, vetted to make sure that whatever name they have, it does not adhere to the names of the employment records. So they know the name. Somehow this individual has so much authority that he's able to do this. Uh, we need answers. I stand with the parents on this, obviously. Uh, nobody should be able to beat a child. And a child inside of an academic setting by somebody that isn't even connected to the academy itself. How in the hell is this not child abuse? I want to know the pastor. I want to know who's in charge of your board of trustees. Somebody here has enough power and authority to do this. I'm going to keep speculating until I hit something. All right, Jordan, thoughts here. Yeah, while most of the kids didn't show signs of physical abuse, there was the mention of a bruise. I mean, this isn't to say it didn't happen. I firmly believe that it happened. But the unseen effects is that this kind of abuse can lead to trauma, especially trauma later in life, and even could immediately jeopardize their educational futures. This type of stuff, we talked about it last time I was on, just this type of abuse, teachers, in this case, someone else, hitting kids in a school setting is so bizarre to me that it's legal in Florida is deeply alarming. Uh, that should be changed. For all the rhetoric we hear from DeSantis and Republicans in Florida about the dangers of books in schools, like right. this seems like a greater danger. You should address this first, but their priorities are, are warped. And I feel bad for these families. I hope they find justice. And I do see some speculation from the viewers already. They, one of them made a good point. What if this is just like a school safety officer, like the in-school cop did it? Because that would that would add a whole new element to it. Of course, we don't know for sure, but that would not be surprising if that's what it turned out to be. Yep, and here's the reality. When they choose to not be transparent, to not give very simple answers, um, speculation is warranted. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay.
All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Next TYT reporter, pretty sure if brain damage could talk, it would sound something like that. What was that word salad talking about? <laughs> Donald Trump, I mean, Trump is getting, I, I don't know either. I mean, wheel, walls, ratings. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Nostra science. Donald Trump is considering racist grifter Tucker Carlson as his VP? Question mark. The devil just called. He feels very dissed right now. <laughs> Left out of the party. All right, and Tanya Ladmerot. Trump should have Sarah Palin as his VP. Just let us see the full on unstable Republicans in action. That would be quite interesting. Uh, Gabby Mathis, thank you for being a member, 17 months. Another week in rehab after broken hip, blood clots and pneumonia. Love you all. Our prayers and positive vibrations with you and a speedy recovery. We thank you for your continued support, right? And me, 2022, welcome to Indisputable. Thank you so much for joining us. Twitch. Yep, this is interesting. Uh, storm up. Walls are obsolete. There's a reason why castles haven't been built in over 300 years. That part. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're not feel free. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. They're both filming me and they're wearing um, pretty offensive. What am I wearing that's offensive? They're my shirt says Levi, Karen. This is they're offensive. They're complaining about the being too diverse. Wow. And they said it used to be all Polish, so. What a quack. He's actually Polish. That's ironic. Exactly. Two white males, probably like 70. <laughs> <laughs> she has no judge of age. Oh, I think she was trying to take a poke at us, I think. They just started filming me. How do we put market. the film in this? There's no they film both, in it. They had their cameras right in my business. Um, Quit lying. Quit lying, Karen. Quit lying, Karen. You're lying. Karen, you're lying. Stop. It's called filing false. Nobody was in your business, Karen. It's called America, and I'm free to walk up and down the sidewalk if I want. Let's put up the picture full mass here. I have some things to say. This particular Karen said that they had on offensive shirts. I'm not able to see the shirts of the other individual. So I cannot make a judgment call on that through actual visual evidence. But ma'am, I can make one on your shirt to pants combination. And it is offensive to me how you have the front part tucked in. And the rest of it hanging out on the side is already an oversized shirt. There are ways you can do this much more effectively. Number two, calling the police on people who are on a sidewalk with their cell phones 
recording should actually, and I mean this authentically, it should be a crime. Oh, guess what it is? It's called misuse of 911. That statute is basically connected to every single city, county, and state that has a 911 service or emergency service of any kind. If you utilize it for something that is not an emergency, and you do so intentionally, you can be charged with misuse of 911. Many times those charges are taken care of by way of a financial penalty. And then if you do it aggressively and consistently, you can be jailed for it. But because people know, like this Karen, in my opinion, that no criminal charges, no civil anything will happen, no adverse action will take place. Hell, let's go ahead and try it anyway. Let's just call the police on people, see what happens. All right, Jordan, thoughts here. I'm not really one to weigh in on anyone's fashion choices. I have <laughs> two outfits. I've got red flannel, black That's t-shirt, and a black hoodie. Looks That's good on it. you though. That's it, man. So, good th- thank you. And really, thank you. So- when you found your outfit, brother, why would you wear another one? I'm okay with that. I can live with that, Jordan. Yeah, I liked I liked the flannel. I like the flannel look. It kind of gives me just like a layer of warmth over one of my many band t-shirts. So when I found it, I just went and got six more. And now I just have a closet full of flannels and black hoodies. So I can't really weigh in there. Like you say, we don't know the shirts that these guys were wearing. But this is just like the the ease with which people call the cops for this type of stuff. Just makes no sense. I mean, to tie it back to the earlier conversation... What if there was something else instead of the police? What if there's just like a community liaison position that you could have to just kind of mediate situations yeah. that don't need escalated to the police level? Right. That like could be a system where we, yeah. in which we would all benefit. That's right. Like the you know, fashion police would have been appropriate <laughs> for this situation. <laughs> Applicable here in both instances, apparently. Probably so. <laughs> Listen, uh, the height of this Karenicity and the privileges, well, on a nuclear level, you remember Central Park Karen. Remember her? Uh, she said that uh, the bird watching uh, individual was a black man going to get her. Well, this was all on video, obviously, and but she got exposed. Um, so today, she has an op-ed in Newsweek saying, hey, I actually was afraid. I mean, you all don't know what really happened to me there. It's unbelievable. Let me take you back to what originally happened, and I will bring you up to date. Sir, I'm asking you to stop. Please don't come close to me. Sir, I'm asking you to stop recording. Please, please don't come close to me. Please take your phone off. Please don't come close to me. Please, please call the cops. Please call the cops. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Please tell them whatever you like. There is an African-American man. I am in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening myself and my dog. <laughs> I'm being threatened by a man in the ramble. Please send the cops immediately. Put it up for a mask. See, the only aggressor was her. The only person who was in danger was him. She attempted to weaponize her tears, weaponize her privilege in order to convey a false narrative that could have gotten him killed. 
Definitely, if no video existed and she decided to continue with this madness, he would have been prosecuted to probably the fullest extent of the law. Newsweek has now published an editorial in which Amy Cooper doubled down on claims made three years ago. Namely, that she was threatened in New York City's most famous park by a black bird watcher. Cooper blamed the public shaming she experienced on Christian Cooper. That is his name. Isn't it ironic? They share the same last name, two strangers in the park. Mr. Christian Cooper, the bird watcher, whose video of the encounter went viral and saved him from being prosecuted. As she wrote, it ended her life as she knew it. Uh, Ma'am, if you would have gotten your way, you would have ended his. Her bio in Newsweek reads, Amy Cooper, a loving daughter, friend, dog mom, and volunteer for women of abuse. Currently resides in an undisclosed location after being at the center of a media firestorm after being dubbed the Central Park Karen. But she brought all of this upon herself. She brought it upon herself. There's more. She wrote, quote, I was scared, said Cooper of her encounter with the bird watcher who became upset that she had a dog off leash. Quote, a man yelling at me and threatening me. But in her opinion piece, Amy Cooper complained the bird watcher, she called the cops on, had not been open to an honest, productive conversation with her. She's already pleaded guilty. She has received a light sentence. It was basically some classes and community service. We covered it. We said it should have been prosecuted to the fullest extent, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how do we get here? This clearly, clearly happened the way Mr. Cooper proclaimed it happened. Every narrative, every interview, even hers, where she kind of evades, avoids um, trying to um, be accountable. She doesn't want accountability. Newsweek decides to platform this madness. You know what it's really about? It's not about truth. It's about making sure that even when a black male has been a victim of someone else, if the person who victimized them is a white person, there are platforms who will say platform them. Why? Because there's an audience for it, as sick as that is. There's an audience who cares nothing about truth. They just care about a certain demographic winning against black people, and you get a bonus if it happens to be a black male. Jordan, thoughts here. Hey, I subscribe to the idea, and I think the person who's been a great champion of this is Brian Stevenson, 
that nobody is defined by their worst mistake. And within that, there should be work and a demonstration that you have changed yourself. That's right. I think we can all agree that's a good principle. That's right. Unfortunately, it does not look like she has changed much by trying to continue to spin this narrative that she was somehow the victim here when she was trying to have police come, like you say, the circumstances and the outcomes there could have been grave. Knowing what we know about the police and seeing how she was trying to misrepresent what was happening when this man just wanted to bird watch. One of the purest hobbies. I can't think of anything. Like there are a few things more pure than bird watching in the park. Right. And that she, right. He was doing no harm. And that she tried to spin it and still years later is still trying to spin it as if she's the victim and he was the aggressor shows there really has been little to no growth. She sees herself as a victim because of public backlash to her actions that were broadcast. And look, I I remain true to that, uh, that view of human behavior and redemption and growth, but it's not afforded to people who haven't put in the work. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I would add is that Newsweek can go to hell. Insane. (laughs) All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Uh, Let me read a couple of these amazing comments, uh, and we appreciate everyone for always joining the conversation. All right, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Wolf Dragon Donna, ha 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 ha. Love your critique of Karen's outfit, Doc. I, I mean, she brought it into the conversation. Okay, all clarity needed to happen. Um, <laughs> Mo Fury, maybe Christian Cooper didn't want to have any conversations with you, Amy. He was watching birds, but that's the thing. Like Amy's like. And he didn't. He did not want to have a productive conversation with me, so I, I called the police. <laughs> what? Insane. To her, that makes sense, though. Um, v and I agree with you, V. The fact that Newsweek published her op-ed pisses me off. This Karen shows that nothing that that the DA did made any difference. They should have thrown the book at her instead of giving her so many passes. Uh, agreed. And we said that right here. You cannot. <sighs> It's like negotiating with terrorism. Karenicity is so extreme, accountability has to be affixed. In tears, in tears, a Florida state rep, Angie Nixon, begs for a ceasefire and says, How many dead Palestinians will be enough? Another rep, a Republican named Michelle Salzman, this rep shouts out, All of them. Here it is. We are at 10,000 dead Palestinians. How many will be enough? I also, one of my colleagues just said all of them. Wow. One of my colleagues said all of them. One of my colleagues also stated that this is going to dry up their fundraising if we vote on this resolution. I also want that, like, that's what we've become in this state. 
That's what we've become in this state where we don't care about innocent babies that don't even get the opportunity to blow out their first birthday candle. This is so sad. Representative Michelle Salzman, do we have a picture of the representative? The, uh, according to the record, uh, this representative shouted out that all Palestinians must die. Let me just provide this for the record. Uh, I have to submit seemingly this every time. Um, once again, Hamas is not Palestine. Palestinians are dying for something they had nothing to do with. Innocent children, innocent people, humanitarian casualties are never okay. They are not disposable. They are human beings. So let's pose it this way. All this is death. And we have elected officials literally saying, kill the rest of them. Talking about baby. Okay. We're talking about people waking up in the morning just like you and I. Getting ready for work. Because we have to pay bills, take care of our family. But they have the added pressure of the random bomb being dropped inside of their community. Because Netanyahu has used Hamas as a proxy to kill Palestinians. Once again, I submit to you. Anyone who believes this is the way that Israel must defend itself, either you are A, completely ignorant of the reality before us, or B, you believe in supporting mass murderers. Here's where I go with it. We can all condemn killing universally. We condemn terrorism universally. We condemn with what Hamas did universally. Then all of a sudden, when Israel drops a bomb or commits to a combat assault and it kills children, innocents, oh, that's just collateral damage. If Hamas was hiding in Israel, Netanyahu would never kill Israeli and simply say that is collateral damage. He would have precision, as I have said before. He would have exacting precision in order to go after those who attack Israeli. The reason why he's willing to kill every Palestinian, the reason why people like Representative Michelle Salzman out of Florida are saying kill them all is because they do not care about human life that happened 
to be Palestinian. We are all in this together, ladies and gentlemen. No matter what your belief system may be, hell, even if you do not believe in God, guess what we all do believe? We came from the same place. All of us, every human being, whatever our origin is, we came from the same place. I'm Jordan, the thoughts here. This is utterly disgusting. This is not unique only to the Florida State Legislature either. Over the past couple weeks, we've seen Brian Mast in Congress dispel the notion that there there are even innocent civilians. Lindsey Graham said we should wipe them out, referring to all Palestinians. Max Miller explicitly called for genocide when he said we're going to turn Palestine into a parking lot. Time and time and time again, members of Congress and the broader political world in the United States have shown they are completely indifferent to the suffering and death of Palestinians. And Democrats who are not calling for a ceasefire right now are fully in support of that because that's where this is going. Israel has made it completely clear they do not care if people are killed in this conflict. They do not care if innocent civilians died because they already have a talking point for it, the human shields talking point. Oh, well, we told them to get out. They're being used as human shields. Well, we can't help it. They're un- Hamas is underground. You can help it. You can go about it in a different way. The idea that bombing is the only response to this is ludicrous. And like you say, you're either ignorant or fully in support of it. I would argue that most members of Congress are fully in support of it because they simply do not see Palestinians as human beings. Their racist and jingoistic foreign policy sees them as inhuman. And that's how this manifests in 10,000 people dead. And we still don't have, we still do not have a complete support of Congress for a ceasefire. We have a handful of Democrats, and that's it. Despite an overwhelming majority of this country supporting a ceasefire, because we can see what's happening, and we're not taking donations from APAC. It's easier for us to then go and say, yeah, this should stop. But when their campaign contributions rely on pretending like this is working, this is the result you get. Very well said. A family of a man killed by jailers, they're now suing. He was going through a mental health episode, but I'll show you the video. They piled on top of him, killed him. It should have been helping. Here it is. Okay. So this incident occurred October 5th, 2022. Footage shows multiple corrections officers trying to restrain and handcuff a man experiencing a mental health crisis. The lawsuit says that the staff used excessive force and that the door operator sprayed enough chemicals that there was a pool of chemical on the ground. In the video, officers could be seen slipping in the narrow hallway. According to the lawsuit, he lay handcuffed on the floor for five minutes while staff walked around him. When the medical team got to the area and attempted to execute life-saving measures, Mr. Freeman died. Freeman, who was suffering from a mental health issue, was placed in a suicide pod that morning following a recommendation 
from a licensed master social worker. He was actually diagnosed properly. That's according to the lawsuit. He dies because their response to a man who needed to be inside of us. Put up the picture. Gershon Freeman, loved ones, Mr. Freeman, whom renowned civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump represents are suing Shelby County and seeking 100 million. The complaint filed on October 27th by his widow, Nicole, also lists Sheriff Floyd Bonner and Chief Jailer Kirk Fields as defendants. A medical examiner determined that Mr. Freeman died from a heart condition that was aggravated by the encounter and that his death was considered a homicide, meaning other people caused it. The outlet reported, however, the official noted that the ruling does not mean a crime was committed. As ABC 24 reported, nine officers involved in his death were placed on administrative leave and charged in connection to his death. Seven of them, Charles Gatewood, Chelsea Duckett, Lareko Donwell Elliott, Jeffrey Gibson, Anthony Howell, Ebony Davis, and Damian Cooper were reportedly charged with aggravated assault resulting in the death of another person. The other two, Courtney Parham and Stephen Jones, they were hit with aggravated assault and second degree murder. The outlet reported citing court documents, Jones also faces another assault charge. Six of them pleaded not guilty. Let me give a statement from Attorney Crump. Quote, the first thing we want to say is, thank God. Because the grand jury, the citizens of Shelby County saw the same video that we saw and said, that is not right. Crump said at a news conference following the indictment announcement in September, Fox 13 reported, that is not just what they did to this young man who was naked. You could see that he was unarmed and had no weapon. Yet they used excessive force, blow after blow, end quote. So the man has already received a mental health diagnosis. They have now moved him to a place where he has to be observed due to the directive of the social worker who evaluated him. He's experiencing a mental health episode. He has a traumatic dynamic happen. And instead of somebody acting in care and concern with compassion, they decide to pile on top of this man while he's handcuffed and naked. And they killed him. You know, the protocol was very simple. You got to get a medical professional here now. That's your protocol. That is what you're mandated to do. That would have been easier than anything else you did. It would have required less energy, less contact with the individual. Um, Everything would have been better and you would not be in jail. You would not have been arrested. 
because you follow the protocol for people who have a mental health condition. But you did not. Because you lack the humanity required to deal with humanity. Once again, it doesn't take training. It doesn't take more sensitivity. Officers need more sensitivity about these things. No, it just it really takes you just giving a damn about people. That's it. All right, Jordan, thoughts here. There's just a general negligence throughout prisons and jails in this country. When something bad happens, obviously this is the worst, one of the worst possible outcomes that could happen. But even on just the day-to-day care, food is is spoiled or they're malnourished or they don't get adequate or inmates inmates don't get adequate health care. People don't seem to care. And it's important for everyone to remember. I would assume most people watching this understand that just because someone is in there and paying their debt to society doesn't mean they should be subject to inhumane or cruel or substandard treatment. But it's important to remember that everyone should have dignity and their basic needs met. Here, obviously, that's not the case. And I hope his family can find justice because the sentence was not for you to be maced and beaten to death. That's right. That was not what the judge ordered. And that this occurred shows there was a grave injustice here, miscarriage. And it shows the abuse of power in these often, I don't know about this this one specifically, but often for-profit enterprises. So we need a complete overhaul and just a total new understanding of how we should handle corrections in this country. And a lot of people just have just total disregard for how people are treated. Very well said. Very well said. Coach stood up for his players, and the coach said, listen, my players are being called racial slurs. He complained about this, and, well, he got punished. Put him up full mask. This is a hell of a story. So you're looking at football coach Sean Liotta, a Barrel High School football coach, has blasted officials from the Western Pennsylvania Interscholastic Athletic League for permitting white players from an opposing team to use racial slurs. We have been here before, specifically the N-word against his black players during the first half of the class to a first round playoff game. The coach has gone to the press to complain about why he was kicked off the field during his team's game against Mohawk High School on Friday, November 3rd. According to the coach, he and other coaches on his staff heard the players, the Mohawk players, calling his athletes the N-word. Quote, I was right there. We heard it. Myself and my coaches heard the slurs. Numerous players reported it to us. Kids were coming over to us to the sidelines in tears, he said. So what did he do? Put up his picture again. He did what any good coach would do. He stood up for his players. Quote, I reported it to the game officials on multiple occasions and said, please do something about it. Now, keep in mind, this was an offense that could have been dealt with by the officials. 
Our kids reported it to the game officials on multiple occasions. They, they even gave them specific players that were doing it. The coach continued to explain, but he walked out to approach them with 11 seconds left before halftime. The coach said, I begged them, I begged them, but they did not listen. I went out to try to talk to the officials about the situation again. The coach said, they blew me off. They said, uh, they didn't hear it. From there, I was ejected from the football game. You know why the coach was ejected? He was ejected for not being on code with the racism that was happening. That's why he was ejected. How, how dare you say something? Coach, you, you're one of us. Hmm? We hear it. Why are you saying something? There's more. Uh, local news, KDKATV reached out to WPIAL, to the league, which said the coach was ejected from the game because he walked into the field and used profanity when, when officials threw penalty flags. So they heard that, but they didn't hear the N-word over and over again. <clears throat> uh, in addition, several of his players were also ejected in the second half for unsportsmanlike conduct. See, that's the part they're trying to typically elicit from the other team, call them the N-word, get them riled up emotional. And called for unsportsmanlike conduct. The coach said it was because of Mohawk's actions. The league has suspended the coach also for the first two games of next season. Doesn't that seem a little heavy handed for a man that just walked out on the field? Hmm? I've never heard a coach being suspended for future games just because he walked out on the field. There's more. Uh, the league uh, has suspended him for the next uh, two games. Next season, he said he will appeal. Uh, the local news reached out to the coach of the opposing team. I never heard back. Although officials claim he demonstrated unsportsmanlike conduct and vulgarity, he asserts that he stood up for his students. I would do it again 100 times to protect our players. He said in an interview with WPXI, quote, there's no place for racism in society. There's certainly no place for racism in high school athletic. The outrage coach said, according to CBS News, I just want to say again, thank you to this coach. Quote, my duty is to make sure they are protected, to make sure this type of stuff does not occur. Coach said, I don't stand for this type of stuff. It needs to be brought to the light just because. It happens far too often. It happens every week and nothing ever gets done about it. Put him the superintendent of the Mohawk Area School District. Um, her name is Dr. Laurie Hook. So the doc here uh, said, and I quote, the district has been made aware of allegations of racial slurs during the November 3rd playoff game against Barrel. The district takes allegations of racial slurs very seriously. Well, not the officials, obviously. And investigates and addresses any instances of inappropriate behavior by the district students, staff, or fans. All playoff games, WPIAL assigns an experienced crew of referees to officiate the game. Here, the officials report did not corroborate or support that any racial slurs were made by district players. And the district's own investigation does not support the allegations. I guess everybody is lying. I'll put up the coach again. Coach, while you have faced the penalty, I would tell you this, you're standing up for those players. As guaranteed, 
that they understand that there are allies in this world who care for them, who may not look like them. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for providing that leadership. I respect you, dear brother. I call you brother because your values are my value. You're my brother. All right, Jordan, thoughts here. Yeah, this is just really frustrating to watch that the league and the other team and the officials are just denying it even happened. You're not going to get your team and a coach to conspire to invent a story like this in the playoffs. No, you're you're playing to win. Understandably, they got upset and were hit with penalties for reacting, which is just totally ridiculous. That he said in his conviction afterward, I'd do it again a hundred times to protect my team. That's not the that's not the words of somebody who invented something. Like this is just ridiculous. It's it's shameful that this division is allowing that to happen and shameful that that team advances. So yep. they should yep. just, I just, I feel bad. This is, I feel bad for the kids who had to deal with that. I feel bad for the coach. It's just an utterly ridiculous overreaction and they should be focused on this Mohawk team. That was the one hurling slurs. Yep. And they set a precedent that hurling the N word is not unsportsmanlike conduct now, obviously. All right, we got more on the other side. Stick and stay. All right, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. All right, first time in the bullpen, we have Mr. Juan Ballismil, commentator, Young Voices. He covered the debate, the Republican debate yesterday, um, if you want to call it that in Florida. It was an interesting saga. Uh, I don't want to presume what you believe about what happened at that debate, Juan. I will let you opine and I will then respond. Yeah, so the loudest voice in that debate was not actually there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) President Donald Trump, who is holding a rally uh, 30 minutes away, 30 minute drive away from from the Arch Center in Miami. Uh, nonetheless, there were some funny moments. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, Cole Ambassador Haley, and Ron DeSantis, uh, Dick Cheney, and Three Inch Heels, which was a funny line. But hold on, uh, let me, I, I usually would not interrupt here. Uh, and, and forgive me, dear brother, I actually thought he was referring. I thought he was referring to uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, I mean DeSantis, as having the three-inch heels. And the reason I say that is because of the um, speculation around his boot attire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, I thought that it was directed solely at him, uh, at Ron DeSantis. But uh, then when Nikki Haley responded, I was like, hey, you're... That was not directed at you. Right. But then it said it was directed at both. So, right. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Okay. Um, so, let, let's talk about uh, the elephant in the room, no pun intended. Uh, Donald Trump obviously came out the winner uh, based on the polling date. He wasn't even in the debate, but he won the debate based on Republicans. So, right now, you have a proxy war for what? What are they actually trying to do? Typically, in a, a scenario like this, when you have a runaway candidate, you're trying to create viability so that you can 
negotiate yourself to a VP pick uh, during the convention or get enough delegates, get enough uh, popularity to where you can have an agenda that is introduced and actually honored by the uh, nominee of the party. I don't think either one of these things are going to happen with this slate of characters. I think the reason why they are still in the race is because they're hoping that Donald Trump is simply in prison and cannot be president. Yeah, so the latter is in some of the people's minds. Uh, in previous campaigns, one can argue that they're running for the VP spot, but I don't think Donald's going to select any of them for the VP spot. Uh, but nonetheless, I although I can see the argument for increasing name ID, some of the people in the campaign and, and the governor. The governor's campaign, Governor DeSantis' campaign, for instance, seem to believe that he actually stands a chance. Uh, same can be said about Ambassador Nikki Haley. Their argument goes something like this. And I and I talked about this with Iowa talk show host Steve Deese, who was there at the debate, who endorsed Ron DeSantis. He tells me that although Trump, yes, is really popular and he's leading by 30% in Iowa, he's sitting at 40% in Iowa. And his argument is that if people drop out, and now that the governor has the endorsement of another governor, the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, it seems, according to him, that DeSantis could actually win Iowa, just like Ted Cruz did. But then wouldn't that be a repeat of what happened with Ted Cruz? He won Iowa, but then he nomination. <laughs> right. And and I understand the point of the broadcaster, but the reality is you have the plurality spectrum uh, inside of a primary. So Donald Trump will likely not win any state in a Republican primary with over 50% of the participants supporting him. But he doesn't need to because so many others are running and splitting their natural base. He has consolidated a very unique base that remains constant in every state. The only way you really make the model work is if all of these individuals running, they get behind one candidate, just one. It can't be two, just one. You may have a chance. Now you get competitive in these states because you do not split your natural base anymore. But they don't have the, let's just say they uh, they lack the insight and enlightenment to do something like that. And they all uh, believe they should be dubbed king or queen per se. Uh, but that would be the only way that you would defeat Trump, in my opinion, in the Republican primary by way of vote. And the other way is by way of indictment and incarceration. Yeah, definitely. Th those are the only two ways, uh, from what I could tell, being there, heading there, actually. And I talked about this in, in the article that I just wrote for the Spectator World. You could see on the way to the debate, a mile away, uh, people with Trump signs and Trump 2024 flags. You didn't see any people with Nikki Haley hats or <laughs> chanting for Vivek Ramaswamy. You didn't see any people fainting when Tim Scott walked past them. Trump is the energy of the GOP. And the only way someone could actually challenge him is if he gets imprisoned, if he gets killed, or if everyone quits and they all unite behind a single candidate. And it seems like that candidate was DeSantis. But now with Nikki Haley reaching him in the polls in Iowa, although his staffers were really confident when I talked to them in Florida, really, really confident. A lot of people seem to be questioning if actually Ron can make this. Mm, wow. Let me ask you this question a little bit 
different than just the debate, but it came up during an interview with Trump where uh, Trump was posed a question about a VP running mate and the guy offered Tucker Carlson. Uh, Trump kind of goes into this, uh, well, you know, the ratings would be great if we did it. We had great ratings when we were on TV together, blah, blah, blah. Uh, naturally, that's not how we would hope somebody would pick a VP, but Trump would. I don't think Trump would pick Tucker. Now, I don't think that's even, he said he, he would consider him, but he was just talking. Uh, Trump, in my opinion, is going to pick someone not like Mike Pence, which simply means uh, somebody who is such a Trump surrogate that they would not challenge him on any leadership decision. Do you see that any differently than I do in whatever VP pick he chooses? It's a complicated question because of course there's strengths in selecting a, a more moderate version of a Republican as a VP candidate. Yeah. That's what you with VP, former VP Pence. And it worked well, strategically speaking. Well, but not this, for Trump. I mean, Trump wanted the guy to not sign the certification. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I just think he tries to find someone who would do that for him the next yeah. time. Yeah. So, like this time around, it seems like it's not a traditional election strategy. Trump yeah. also wants a fighter, and and for him, he always says that loyalty is the most valuable thing, the most valuable currency in politics. And he actually believes that firmly. So you see a lot of people fighting, uh, especially a Republican of former governor candidates like Carrie Lake and other women in GOP politics, since some people assume that the future VP might be a woman, since President Joe Biden, a running mate, is a woman as well. So they have that in mind too. Uh, I'm not sure if Trump actually hinted at the fact that he would nominate a woman, uh, but we don't really know. Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting. So, uh, in my opinion, you know, you give Donald Trump power again, you can kiss this form of democracy goodbye. That is my opinion of it. Uh, thank you, dear brother. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. All right. Remember, take care of yourself. Take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always indisputable.